Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an Our Americana Podcast Network production. Sponsored by Podbean. Hey guys, if you like Playlist, you should definitely check me out on two other music podcasts that I appeared this week. The first is Two Peas on a Podcast, where we talked about our favorite 80s ballads. And the second is That Awful Sound, where I shared a traumatizing sixth grade talent show story, and we deep dive one of the corniest songs from the 90s. Kiss me hard before you go Summertime silence I just wanted you to know The baby the best I got my red dress on tonight Dancing in the dark in the pale moonlight Throw my hair up real big beauty queen style Heels off, I'm feeling alive. Oh my god. I... Hi, this is Josh Hallmark, and I'm your host on this musical journey called Playlist. Each week I'll be hanging out with some of our favorite podcasters, curating playlists for different themes. Tonight's theme is All By Myself, our favorite songs about loneliness and isolation. And tonight I'm playing music with Tawny Plattis, host of the Dirty Bits podcast, where I tell scandalous and salacious stories from history your teacher probably left out. You can find us on the Orbital Jigsaw Network at orbitaljigsaw.com. Uh, I am Mike O'Connor, host of Can I Get a Ride? Uh, it's a podcast about my interactions and conversations and uh, reflections uh, with people I've picked up for a rideshare company. Currently, the show is on hiatus, but you can still check it out on iTunes and any of the podcasts. Podbean, you can find it all there. I'm Stephen Pappas, host of Is This Adulting? You know how this goes at this point, folks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, host of Is This Adulting? You can find us on Facebook at Is This Adulting? And we are also part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network, so you can find us at orbitaljigsaw.com. Also, I host another podcast, Meddling Kids, that I always forget to plug, so you can check that out, too. And I am Christy Lee, the host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast. You can find me everywhere that you get podcasts and on all of social media outlets. <laughs> that's that's it. I'm kind of like Stephen. And on Huffington Post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like super famous, guys. That liberal magazine. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight I'm supposed to be drinking Lonely Heart Cabernet, um, but I'm not. And if, it, if I sound like I'm high, it's because I am um, <laughs> on Vicodin, um, which is marginally legal, I guess, in this circumstance. Um, but 
what is everyone else drinking? Uh, how can anyone follow that? <laughs> Actually, Christy, oh, you it have is me. To. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's drinking. <laughs> water. <laughs> That's it, water, guys. There's a, there's a pun in there about how you're not alone, something like that. Yeah, I'm drinking water too, just all the water. I'm actually drinking a Copperhead tonight because I thought with the loneliness, I was going to need it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be real sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got real depressed all day listening to your guys' bullshit songs. <laughs> 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 I'm, just there, I'm like, and it's about when you can't move on and just, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I feel like Josh and I might be on the same level. I, I went I went to the extreme. Uh, uh, for, for, those, for those that know that, that I also work for a brewery, uh, I am drinking one of our smoked beers. Uh, and it's, you know, it. what better way to feel lonely and isolated than in a post-apocalyptic world where the world is smoldering around you. So you get that nice smoked taste out of this beer. Also, because I'm out of weed, uh, I'm smoking resin. So I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> well, before things get any weirder, um, Christy, <laughs> you played us in. Why don't you tell us about uh, speaking of Vicodin, your song? Kiss me hard before you go. God, how do I get all like sad and shit from that conversation? Um, yeah, so Lana Del Rey, Summertime Sadness. Um, I love this chick and I love her um, earlier couple of albums. They're so melancholy and nouveau vintage or something. I don't know. She's, she puts out this vibe and, you know, the, the lips and I, I like, <laughs> man, I would, I would get some filler just for those lips. What, <laughs> what is it that you put in them? I don't know. Je, uh, uh, collagen. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that. Um, I just think this song is beautiful and I love the, the video clip. You know, it's just kind of talking about after a summer romance is over and then you're like really missing the person but you know that it has to end and i love the way in the the video it portrayed it being two females which is was something a bit different i like how she she kind of goes out there a little bit sometimes even though she's you know a mainstream figure so yeah i i i that song is both beautiful and haunting at the same time I think of Lana Del Rey as uh, the human embodiment of Kalanapin, but uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Who's Kalanapin? Um, Kalanapin is a drug that I take a whole lot of. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! 
Is this? I, I'm sorry. Is this an insult or a compliment, Josh? I mean, it depends more, on the day. Yeah, it's yeah. more of, a, of an observation. I still don't get it, Josh. Um, so, okay, um, You're so wholesome and cute. Benzodiazepam that's used for anxiety and depression. You Americans are big on the drugs. Back home, we just have um, Valium. <laughs> that, it's, it's in the same family as Valium. Family. It's like Valium's yeah, yeah. like weaker little cousin. Oh, okay, cool. Yes. Okay, yeah. well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as a compliment. Yeah, the observation <laughs> is is to me is she seems like Valium is actually probably better because I have taken Klonopin because I get severe anxiety and I think you still are like yourself when you're on it as to where Valium you were like on another planet and you, like it just like oh. uh, no one can see what I'm doing but it just she like the, like the dead behind the eyes but that's oh. <laughs> It's true, though. No, it's true. She's a total hot, like, she's a Hollywood machine or whatever it is. She's yeah. a creation. She is. But yeah. This, no, this no, 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 totally. album, Born to Die, is, like, pop perfection. Um, totally. Yeah, I, and this is one of my favorite songs on it. And it, it does, it reminds me of when you were, like, 19, early 20s, and you'd have those summer flings. And they'd be over. And you weren't even really sad about, like, the person, but so much that you have to, like, go back to real life um, yeah and so that's what the song makes me think of i think it's perfect i think it's uh so born to die and video games video games perfect <laughs> this is where yeah. it starts leaning a little on the like overproduced side which is now i think like all she does but uh, i still yeah i don't I like her it. newest stuff yeah yeah as much i don't i don't listen to it. i don't feel compelled to listen to it but yeah that 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 one album and the next one actually yeah those producers they really really did a number on her (laughs) (laughs) i love lana del rey oh my god i love like when i saw that that was the first one i was so optimistic about the playlist like that we were doing today too i was like yes i like i look at her like quite a bit deeper she totally does have that like glossed over like you know i'm on drugs kind of look to her but it's like I don't know. It kind of works too. Like she's like modern, like Nancy Sinatra, Brigitte Bordeaux, which is yes. like why I love her. Oh my god, I love Brigitte Bordeaux and Nancy Sinatra. Like I want to be them, but um, she's so amazing. And like just this song has been one of my favorites, like forever. Like I think this actually did come out when I was nineteen. Funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, um, so I'm like, You're welcome. <laughs> Steven's the same age. <laughs> Taking you under the bus with me. This came um, out in like 2012. This is five years ago. I thought it was 2009. Sure, it's that. <laughs> I don't know. I, have no clue. I could be totally I like off. No, I lived in Seattle, so it would have to have been after 2011. Oh, well, cool. Google will tell me. Hang on. Y'all continue. <laughs> um, but I, I, I love this song because it's, it is so hauntingly seductive. Yeah. It's like the best. It's like you're being seduced by a ghost, like with Lana Del Rey. I feel like it's it's eerie, but it's gorgeous. And like the whole song, like just embodies this kind of like feeling about not being able to live without that person that you love, and trying to kind of like get past that. And you like you feel that you're like, oh, you yeah, you experienced that. This was written by you from an actual personal experience. And it's like she's reminiscing about this past love and it's like the summertime kind of makes her sad. So it's like, you hear that nostalgic, like she's, Oh, it's summer again. So she's thinking about that summertime love that she doesn't have anymore. And it's loneliness, but yeah, but it's like, it's also this like almost like incomplete feeling. Like she used to feel like invincible and electric and in love. And now she doesn't have that anymore. She's doing all this like 
stuff by herself. You know, she has all these memories, but she's doing all the same stuff she used to do with her loved one, but she's like alone. Uh, I think for me, I... I really dug the vocals of it. I actually really liked the music as well. It kind of had this uh, sort of club-like feel. Like, you're going to go out with your girlfriends and you're going to dance at the club. And, you know, you're going to... You guys are woo girls that night. You're getting drunk. You're drinking, <laughs> you know. You're, you're, you're having your drinks and you're embracing that idea that you're going to be alone. Uh, but you are also surrounded by your other friends and you're dancing and it's, and it's totally, fine. it had that vibe just like musically, lyrically, it definitely speaks volumes. I think like everyone just said the the summertime girlfriend, totally guilty of that. Uh, I used to have my mission trips, girlfriends, you know, when you'd go on a missions trip and you'd meet another uh, person from another state or city or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, God totally wants this person in my life. And then you leave and then you're like, that sucks. And like, you're just like super bummed out about it. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been through that. I'd have, I have. Oh, oh my God. Like, Oh, it sucks. It's sucks. Oh my God. <laughs> just you like, I just got like a little flash of PTSD when you said missions trip. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. been yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I, every once in a while you think about them and, uh, you know, y- you have that sort of like summertime relationship where you're like, we're going to keep in touch all the time. There, there was a, there was a particular verse or, uh, or just line, I guess that really stood out. I know if I go, I'll die happy tonight. It's, it's this idea that you're so content with that person in in whatever fleeting moment that you had with them that like you're totally content with like if like you get into a car accident tonight that it's totally fine you feel so much for that person even when you're separated from them and you are lonely and so much time has passed and you reminisce about that person that like you still feel that way and i had like a weird quick story weird personal experience with that where I had read something I probably shouldn't have read with somebody that I was dating and they brought up that particular thought that they feel they they had a memory that they felt comfortable dying with that person in that moment and it crushed me because it wasn't about me it was about somebody in a past relationship and it like kind of hurt but like I totally get that feeling and this whole song is just like kind of accepting that I guess I don't know it it, it was It's not a song that I would listen to, but God damn it, if that showed up on the radio, you better believe I'm rolling down the windows. Okay. No, okay. So first off, Mike, I need you to know that right after talking about missions trips, um, (laughs) as soon as you said, and there's this one verse that really sticks out to me. I was like, is he about to quote scripture? Are we about to go real weird here on this podcast? Like, what is about to go down? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. So I remember when this song came out. I really never listened to the words. I'm going to be honest. It was just on the radio. And it was one of those like, all right, cool. This is on the radio. It's catchy. I'm going to listen to it. And then today, when I was really going back and making my notes and listening to the songs a few times each, I really listened to the words and I went, damn, this is the saddest song I've ever heard. Um, until later, when I found the other saddest songs I've ever heard. <laughs> but... <laughs> really depressing like i legitimately wrote down the same line of i know if i go i'll die happy tonight like i legitimately wrote that down and i was just like oof like and in the video it's like right as she's about to jump off a bridge i was like oh my god she's bringing me bringing me down getting going real good 
But no, I like the song. I don't know a lot of Lana Del Rey, to be honest. It's so good. She's so good. Like she's I honestly so could not name you another song that she's done, but I, I knew this song. So I think at this point, we all just need to understand that we're never going to get through a season of playlist without picking a Ben Folds song in some <laughs> way, shape or form. The last Ben Folds song I picked, Mike, you were on that episode. Yep. yep. So you're just you're my Ben Folds, buddy. That's um, fine. Whether That's you want to be or not. I, I'll take it. I'm lonely. There you go. <laughs> well, we all are tonight. <laughs> yeah, I picked Mess by Ben Folds 5. Um, which was his band in the 90s. Um, ben Folds is from my hometown, and so he's like a big deal where we are, and everybody loves him, and that's just kind of the thing. Except for the people who don't, and they really don't. <laughs> but Why? I've, I, I mean, I, I legitimately believe that the man is a musical genius. Um, he composes symphonies and does all sorts of things, uh, beautiful acapella arrangements, it, it's insane what he does. I've seen the man stand in a piano and conduct an audience as a four-part choir. Like, it's it's insane. His music has always spoken to me. I don't know, but this song, I really like the juxtaposition of sad words with upbeat music Yeah, because too. it does not sound like a really depressing song, but the melody is beautiful in a way that when he sings the chorus is kind of, and this word's going to come up a lot in my notes and I'm sure in y'all's tonight, it's haunting. The melody has a haunting thing about it. Something about when he sings the chorus, I don't believe in God, so I can't be saved all alone as I've learned to be in this mess that I've made. And it's never made clear in the song what happened and what mm -hmm. the singer has done. But it's just this, I think everyone can relate to this feeling of I fucked up. And I did something terrible and now I'm alone because of it. I think it's clear at one point, you know, he says he'll never love you as much as I or more than I do. And so it's clear he, he did something and messed up and made a mess of a relationship. But I've just I don't know. I've always liked this song. Something about it has always just hit me on some sort of emotional level. And it makes me really sad. 
I am not extremely familiar with Ben Folds 5, but I did enjoy the song very much when I listened to it. And I put the same notes down. I'm like, it's so bouncy and chipper, and it doesn't go along <laughs> with the lyrics whatsoever. And in that way, it really reminded me of Elton John, actually. Like, I was wondering if maybe he took, like, quite a bit of inspiration from Elton John, because it kind of has that same, like, you know, it's really piano-based, and it's really, like, poppy and bouncy and everything, but the lyrics are not necessarily as perky. And um, that was very cinematic and kind of like a 90s hipster kind of way. The lyrics, like, they really, like, like that's what's so cool about this, like, show, too, is, like, getting to, like, read, like, really have to, like, you know, listen to the song and not just, like, have it play in the background. But, like, reading the lyrics along with it were really cool because it's, like, this, like, such a shit. I'm sorry. I'm, like, thrown by the fact that I just heard you say fuck, Steven. I've never heard you say that before. And I was just kind of, like, really. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, like, kind of thrown. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It'll happen a lot. <laughs> no, I love it. I need more of that in my life. So it's like this shitty realization of like figuring out you can't be with the person and you aren't good for them or vice versa, whichever way that was like they couldn't work it out, but they want to be together, which I felt like was kind of this like white stripes kind of a thing. It was very like Jack and Meg where it's like you can tell they want to be together, but for some reason it's not they working not. out. They're not why. brother and sister, right? I always thought yeah. they were brother and sister. They, yeah. No, no, they told they everyone they brother too. and sister, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, it's kind of icky. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. It really was. Uh, the Lannisters before Game of Thrones. <laughs> you should do I don't an think I've ever on been on a it. podcast with Tawny where she hasn't made a Lannister reference. <laughs> what say about the podcasts I'm on? <laughs> you guys are all talking about making that connection. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be with this new lady and he wants to be for her what he could never be for the subject of the song, which I thought was really interesting because it kind of like supported that. Like he's, you know, they're moving on and it was like they had this experience together, but for some reason they can't, you know, they can't make it work. Ben Folds 5 was was pretty big when I was in high school and, um, you know, I, I quite liked him uh, and his band, although I do find him to be a little on the bland side musically although lyrically that was pretty good in comparison to other music that, that that he's put out i found that song to be a little bit bland musically but i think that might just be a, more of a reflection of my own personal tastes than anything so i'll just stick with what tony said <laughs> all right come at me christy all right <laughs> Christy's like, it was a group project. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I love Tawny's comparison to Elton John. And I've been listening to Ben Folds 5 since I was in junior high. um, And I never would have made that comparison. So right. Like I, I wrote down, this reminds me of Razorface because it is that like happy melody to really, really depressing lyrics. One thing that I've noticed in a lot of the songs we picked tonight is peak isolation has a level of apathy to it uh and i think that that was expressed really well here and i think it's like it you sound like a dick but it's really just that you're so alone that you're kind of untethered from reality in a sense and i don't know it was sad but i liked that so yeah i like ben folds i like this good job that's deep (laughs) (laughs) Deep, yeah i'm still pondering that (laughs) 
Stephen, I always love uh, your picks. I, I'm not a Ben Folds Five fan in the sense of like I don't, I would not recognize the music when I hear it. However, I really liked this song, and I think maybe just in the context of the subject matter of tonight's recording, I think that probably brought this up another level for me because like I really enjoyed it in the context of a religious aspect. You know, religion has a way of making you feel like you belong uh, to a group. It has a way of making you feel like you're part of a family, even when you don't necessarily believe you still get something out of religion. And this kind of brought it to that level for me was just like, yeah, you can still feel lonely. Like you have all these thoughts in your head. You have all of these, these feelings in your head and you don't necessarily express them uh, to other people around there because maybe you don't actually believe in God. And so it makes you feel even more lonely because you don't know that if you can talk to somebody else uh, about these things, but this is just you having sort of a conversation, you know, with yourself you're left with your own thoughts. Uh, this song was, I, it was really good. Like I just, I really enjoyed listening to it. And whenever I do these episodes, minus the Christmas episode, because Christmas is tight, but like there's no deeper meaning to, you know, the, the songs. But with something like this, you have a deeper picture in your brain while you listen to the each one of these songs that invokes different imagery. And this song made me kind of go back to that idea of, you know, yeah, I, I I don't believe in God, so I, I can't be saved. So I'm lonely. I'm I'm cursed to walk the earth uh, as an unbeliever, and nobody else understands what I go through. And you don't want to vocalize it because you feel like you'll isolate yourself even more. That's kind of what I got out of the song. It's a great song, though. Still hold on to nothing. So afraid to just let go. Gripping tightly with both hands. Close your eyes and you're hoping. pick that I have is not as bad as the second. So <laughs> so with this uh, uh, particular <laughs> song, this is a song by the band. They're called Wolves and Wolves and Wolves and Wolves. And these are guys that I've known for God, uh, 17 years or so. I grew up kind of listening to these guys as part of the local scene that I was a part of when I lived in Florida. This song to me is, it, it's very simple. It, it's it's aggressive in some ways, maybe vocally, musically. It's got that sort of punk rock feel to it. That sort of like rock and roll feel to it. Um, vocally, I've always loved uh, the lead singer Brian's voice. Um, it, it's very gravelly. He, he has a way of like, writing something that's simple but conveying it in a way that he sings that it makes it that much more relatable
this song is called More Than Sand, and and you know some of the lyrics where it's you know you're you're gripping tightly to these things, and when you look down in your hands, you're really you're you know you have your eyes closed. When you look down and open your eyes, you're hoping that there's more there than just sand. And so it's it's your your dreams, your ambitions, your relationships, your sort of feelings about yourself. You want it to be more than what you kind of feel like maybe that it is. And that's a that's a very lonely and sort of dark place to be at where you just kind of feel overwhelmed by whatever situation is going on. You know, I was on the breakup episode before and it's this kind of goes hand in hand with that where it's just like you're you're trying to find yourself you may have thought that part of your identity was with somebody else or something else in your life and you know you look down and you see like now that's nah dude that's not what's happening like now you have to kind of find yourself again and I don't know to me it's just it's it's one of those songs you know when I'm driving around and I get bummed out and I put it on and I'm just like yeah like this is how I feel right now I want to feel better about my situation I don't want to feel like I'm alone and hey somebody else is talking about the same sort of thing well Mike you know I love you right yep (laughs) let's hear it let's hear it I'm gonna read exactly what I wrote here (laughs) The thing is, I don't hate it. I do hate his voice. <laughs> yeah, I, and I get that. There's either people that like his voice or don't, and people that I've tried to introduce them to. It's To me, it's a very raw voice. It comes from a, a different place. You're not trying to change who you are as a person and, 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 and the way in which you put out your message. Right, and I appreciate a good raw voice. <laughs> Um, because as a big fan in my day and really up until they unfortunately had to disband, um, I was a big fan of Lincoln park and Chester Bennington's voice, Mm -hmm. that emotion, that raw scratchy, like vocalization. So like, I get that this one just wasn't, uh, wasn't jiving with me. But the thing I realized is this song and this style emo Steven would have been like all (laughs) over this. Just not, just not the voice. But I, I honestly did not hate it. Oh, I mean, I know that's that sounds terrible, but that's 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 where I'm at with it. I was like, sure, I didn't sure. hate it. I'll tell you more than anything. I appreciate the band name Wolves and Wolves and Wolves and Wolves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they big fans of wolves? Oh hell yeah! Who isn't? <laughs> that is a fair. You make a fair point. Yeah. So I wrote. I'm reserving commentary until I hear the story. Um, and <laughs> I, I actually, I do like, and we talked a bit about this during the breakup one, because Amanda had that M83 song where there were like 10 words in the whole song, but the, the accompanying music made those words so much more impactful. So I actually, I agree with you. Um, and I do get, like, I've never been like a angry emo punk rock type of guy but like i do get that like i am exhausted and i put all my energy into something and if i open my hands and there's nothing there i'm gonna lose my fucking mind um i think as podcasters Mm -hmm. to a certain degree we all kind of live that sometimes (laughs) we've all lost audio at least once right (laughs) (laughs) so i i get it musically it's not for me but i did i appreciated the lyrics and hearing you talk about it made me have a greater appreciation for it 
I agree with Josh and with Stephen, actually, because I, I don't like his voice. Um, I feel like it was it was in some strange point between screaming and singing. And I was like, pick one, pick one. I looked up the lyrics and I did like them. I really did appreciate, um, you know, the fact that he's tr- he's grasping, he's grasping for something and he's hoping there's something more there. So I, I, I felt, felt the lyrics were, were pretty awesome, but yeah, I just, I just can't move past that, that screamy singing voice, but I do, I did love your story, Mike. It was a good story. this like took me back listening to it it's like super like adult alternative like for me this was like junior high in southern california like simple like i mean it's not simple plan but it kind of like reminded me of like that like genre that was like really popular and as i was like listening to your music choices i was like starting to make guesses i was like i was like back in 2003 again so what does mike do is mike is mike a tattoo artist that might be it and when you said brewery i was like that makes sense. <laughs> but I was like, like this, I think, and as I'm listening to it too, I was like, I'm fairly certain I got a tattoo with this song playing. Like it was weird. Like I was listening to it and I like, that was like instantly the connection I got. So I can't say for certain, but I was like listening to it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure like I got Totoro on my arm, like while this was playing in the back of somebody's house while I was getting a tattoo in their bathroom. <laughs> I like that. I have fun. Look at all the lonely people. Ah, look at all the lonely people. Helena Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. So um, this was actually one of the first Beatles songs I heard when I was in sixth grade because my parents hate the Beatles and I was like on super restriction for music growing up. (laughs) And I remember hearing this like being like 12 and it was like in a classroom and I was just like, this is this is rad that was like so much of my like musical education was like i wasn't supposed to be listening to this music and like somebody was like sharing it with me and i was like oh me too eleanor rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name Nobody came, Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved, all alone. Where do they all come from? All alone. Where do they all belong? But um, with this song, there's like, 
I feel like you could analyze this for days. There's like layer upon layer of meaning in the lyrics, like the wedding she's cleaning up after that she wasn't a part of. Like, that's like so incredibly lonely. Like they're painting this picture of this like joyous occasion where, you know, you're not lonely at a wedding. Nobody's lonely at a wedding. But, you know, she's picking up after somebody else's happiness, after somebody else is like committing themselves to somebody like they found that person and she is cleaning up after that by herself in a church. You know, she lives in the dream, waiting at the window, wearing a face that she keeps in a jar by the door, which is just like brilliant. And it's like this presentation of like normalcy. Like everybody has that. You're like, oh, I'm fine. Hi, what's going on? You know what I mean? It's like that. Like everything's fine. And nobody knows that you're like breaking inside. (laughs) Like like it just like I remember that just has stuck in my head forever. It was one of those ones like those songs that you hear once and like you have the lyrics memorized because they're just so uniquely poignant. You know, you you don't hear that kind of stuff all the time and um i don't give a shit about the priest that they talk about it until until you get to the end where you know he was lonely of course and she was buried along with her her name nobody came and then you know the priest is wiping the dirt from his hands and it was these one lonely person burying another lonely person and they didn't find each other they were both lonely you know, it kind of implies that maybe she was picking up like the rice in the church after the wedding of maybe like a wedding that he officiate officiated. And, you know, why didn't they, you know, they kept like kind of maybe like crossing paths or brushing past each other, maybe like not acknowledging that, like maybe kind of that face in the jar where they're like, hi, how's it going? You know, and like nobody, you know, they didn't pick up on that with each other and she died. And that there's no coming back from that. She's dead. It's done. It's over. And she died lonely and he's going to continue on. And they, they, it's like that like missed connection. And oh my God, it's like, <laughs> how has nobody made a movie? Maybe they have. And I just don't know about it. But it's like, it seems like the ultimate film, right? I, I mean, I'll say this. I, I'm not, I'm not a huge Beatles fan uh, by any means. I, I, I enjoy some of their songs. This song in particular, though, like I, whenever I've listened to it, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's a very simple song. You know, it's not the weird, trippy LSD John Lennon shit. I, I enjoyed this song. And I think when you just said uh, missed connections and, and it, uh, yeah, there's something about this song that like I, I when I looked at the lyrics, it made me think of and I do this quite a bit, maybe when I'm stoned, but sometimes <laughs> when I'm not as well. <laughs> When you when you look at people and like, you know, I'm driving in a car and I look at somebody as I'm passing by and I like to think of like, what's their life like? What do they do? What are their hopes, their dreams? Like, I like to really get involved in thinking about that. And it's just what is this person feeling right now? Like, what's their pains? We go through these motions kind of every single day. And especially in our super connected world that we have now we still kind of look for validation. And that's, I kind of felt that with this song is that everybody wants to feel appreciated. Everyone wants to feel like they have a voice. Everyone wants to feel like their life matters. And I think that, you know, that goes a lot with loneliness is that you feel like you don't matter, but somebody else might be thinking about what it is that you do, what it is that you want out of life. You you post your stuff on Facebook and you hope that somebody responds type of thing. And I Mm -hmm. kind of felt that with like the priest and the, you know, and the woman where it just, it had that feeling of somebody going, what is their life like? But from the person's viewpoint is they're lonely. They don't feel validated as a person. They don't feel like they're cared about. It's a, it's, it's like a two different perspectives, I guess, from the two different people. It's, it's, 
your perspective as the listener. Uh, the lyrics are your thoughts, but the other person is the one that feels lonely. I enjoyed it a lot, and I'm not a huge Beals fan at all. Like it, you could have told me it was I don't know Ben Folds Five or someone, and I and I would totally be like, that's tight. Now, Tony, I've never heard of this band. Are they new? <laughs> I mean, they're not as big as Benfold 5, but... <laughs> no, no, no one will ever be. I'm probably the opposite of Mike, and I know Josh. I, I'm a huge Beatles fan. <laughs> I have been, uh, always. I've always loved them. Like, I'm the loser that can tell you, like, oh, this is song number... I think it's song number three off Revolver in from 1966. <laughs> no, it's song number two. But this was one of the first Beatles songs I heard growing up, too. I grew up listening to it, but it was one of the first ones I remember knowing all the words to and remembering like, oh, this song, this is the Beatles, like, and making that connection. I think even as a kid, I understood on some level that it was sad because it is the lyric of Eleanor Rigby died in the church or, and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Like, even as a kid, I was like, ooh. Sad. Mm -hmm. And there's something haunting, whether we want to talk about the priest or not. Um, there's something haunting about that next line of Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. There's something about that line, too, mixed with her being gone that is just, ugh, it'll bring you down. No one I, was no, saved I, from loneliness. Right. No, That's no, kind of the way. No one I was forget. saved in the Christian way oh, yeah, from the devil. Okay. <laughs> Christy's like no that was religious <laughs> I, I see it everywhere oh god what do you see, what do you... the see devil see... yeah I was gonna say do you I see, see the religion. devil everywhere religious references I'm a huge mark for the Beatles so I mean I can't say anything I love it as we know um I was not exposed to normal music, so I didn't have those Beatles-loving parents. And I find I didn't really appreciate the Beatles very much when I was, you know, in my teens and early 20s when I first kind of knew about them. But I find as I'm getting older, I do appreciate their music more and, and their lyrics and... Um, and yeah, this is definitely one of those songs where I, you know, like Stephen was saying, you hear it, it here and there in the in your childhood, you know, like it, it's playing on the radio in a in the grocery store or whatever, and you always know, but you never actually take a second to stop and and really listen. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciated. It's kind of got a bit of drama to it, really, and you know the strings. The strings are just epic and beautiful, and I think I think the song is just perfection, really. Well, I have shit on the Beatles quite a bit on the show. I think I <laughs> compared them to bad porn at one point. Uh, <laughs> another point, I said I was glad Yoko Ono broke them up, um, but. <laughs> Oh my God, Josh! There are two. you are going to hell. <laughs> we'll Josh not can't be saved. saved. <laughs> it's a lonely place. <laughs> um, but there are two Beatles songs that I like, and this is one of them. Um, I think lyrically, it's amazing. I think it's so sad. It paints such a wonderful picture. Um, I mean, not thematically wonderfully. It wonderfully paints a picture that is sad, and it is. It's very cinematic. Uh, like there should be a movie. Yeah. There comes a time when you swim or sink 
So I jumped in the drink, 'cause I couldn't make myself clear. Maybe I wrote an invisible ink. Oh, I've tried to think how I could have made it appear, but another illustration is wasted 'cause the results are the same. I picked "Invisible Ink" from Amy Mann's "Lost in Space" album, which is basically an entire album dedicated to isolation and loneliness. I think a lot of the songs on that are either like deeply specific or personal, or like unapologetically apathetic. And so I went with this one because it's a little softer and a little more relatable, but also probably a lot more depressing. It's hard to keep straight. Perspective is everything, and I know now which is which and what angle I ought to look at it from. I suppose I should be. To be misread, better be that than some of the other things I have become. I just feel like being misunderstood or disengaged can be the loneliest feeling in the world. And there's this line in the song that kills me every time. I suppose I should be happy to be misread. Better be that than some of the other things I have become, which is just a, like depressing marriage of despair and um, being misunderstood. So I just I think lyrically she she writes in a way that we talk, but expresses herself so wonderfully to music. Like every line of her song, you're like, I feel like I've thought that before. And I think uh, this is a A sad moment in her career that created just a fantastic album, and this is、uh, a, a great piece of that. Well, Josh, as evidenced on the first episode that I was ever on, where I was shit all over for Ed Sheeran,、um, <laughs> I have never heard an Amy Mann song until today, when I sat down to listen through for this, and we've had our differences <laughs> over over the run of playlist. We have, but. Today is not that day because I loved this song, and if this is what Amy Mann is, I'm I'm all in. Yeah, this is like Amy Mann's whole career is just sad songs like this. I mean, I, I love a good sad song. That's why I'm here. No, I just I loved it. It was there's something spellbinding about the song. The melody moved in a way that was simple, but it kept me. It was captivating. And there was this one lyric that stuck out to me, which was what some take for magic at first glance is just sleight of hand, depending on what you believe. And I was just like, oh, oh my god! Like as soon as, 
as soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, because I mean, to me, that spoke of relationships I've been in at some point of just like looking back and looking at what I thought was this beautiful, amazing thing. And if I really had thought about it or listened to what the people around me were seeing, um, it's all a matter of matter of perspective. And when you're in it, you maybe don't see what everyone else sees. I thought it was beautiful. It was great. And I'm going to need you to tell me which albums to look at or just all of them because I am I'm going all in on Amy Mann. I will, I will send you an itemized list of songs. <laughs> You're going to get a customized playlist. Yes. Oh, it's like a mixed CD. That's cute. Oh. You should put a mixed CD in the mail. That would be adorable. <laughs> I also wrote down that line, Stephen. Yeah. About magic at first glance is just sleight of hands. Like that was one of those, like I threw my pen on the floor. I was like, fuck that frustration that comes along with not being able to make someone understand you. Like she's able to express that better than anybody that I've ever listened to. I think just with the, she has such unique lyrics Yeah, that nobody needs a catalog with details of love. I can't sell anymore. Am I like, who like, I can't even imagine being able to express myself like that. Like just how she does. It's just, she just nails it on the head. Like you can't, you can't even like say anything else about it because the lyrics so on point, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't like, like what is there to add? <laughs> she just expresses that feeling of ruminating and dwelling on what you could have done better or differently. So you wouldn't have ended up in the place that you're in. Like, that's what I really got from her was just like, like what, what could I have done differently? So I didn't feel this way or I wasn't here in this place. Like this one, like got to me, like this one, like made me cry. It was like, it felt hopeless. And I don't know if that's just like me interpreting it weird or something, if that's not at all what the meaning is to it, but it, it felt just utterly hopeless and sad. Like, like that one, I had to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took away a different lyric uh, from the song and it was something, I believe I have it correct. Something gets lost when you translate. Like I looked at this from the perspective of when you speak, when you act, that somebody is going to misjudge what it is that you're saying, what message it is you're trying to convey your true feelings at that moment. And it's a really hard thing. You don't think about it that often. But when you do, that puts you in such a, a lonely, isolated sort of place where you're like, am I being interpreted correctly? Is my message, whatever it is that I'm trying to put out there in a conversation with somebody, are they going to understand truly what it is that I mean when I speak it? And you may not have that opportunity to be able to elaborate on that. And it's something that I've struggled with over time. And maybe sometimes during these episodes when I'm trying to convey my message, like, do no, do you guys really understand what it is I'm trying to say? You know, that's everything. But it, it, that that's it's it's a lot. It comes from that feeling of like you're you don't know if somebody else is on that same wavelength as you if somebody is picking up what you're throwing down type of thing you know it's it's a weird spot to be in because we're mm -hmm. stupid creatures that communicate through words and grunts and facial expressions and the way in which we move our bodies our body language and you you sometimes you feel like you're alone in that like do i am i the only person that thinks this way am i the only one that communicates in this manner, and it's probably just comes from a, a weird paranoid place where you're just like, I, I feel like whatever it is that I say or do, nobody's going to interpret it in the same way that I'm putting it out there. So that in it 
in and of itself makes you feel alone. The overall message of that song. Now, the rest of the song, I loved it. I thought I, I thought it was great. The chorus felt more together. It flowed very well together. Uh, the verses were they were a little bit jumbled, and I always kind of have a problem with that. I kind of need it to follow a, uh, a a pattern that is easily discernible. But overall, I loved I loved her voice. I thought it was a, a, a fantastic. It's a great. This is a song that I would probably have sex to. Like I, I love it. I just <laughs> love. <this song. laughs> Are you gonna be like crying while you're doing it? <laughs> Yeah, That's no like, different than any other yeah. time. <laughs> well, I think we all needed that. Um. <laughs> that was amazing. I, too, had never heard of this Amy Mann person, but I greatly enjoyed the song, and I I thought she had such an amazing voice, and she was – Josh, she was kind of like Emily Haynes uh, with the low parts of her voice, you know, when it's kind of a bit like velvet. I thought that the lyrics were very clever. My favorite line was the one about the Ouija board. I feel like a ghost who's trying to move your hands over some Ouija board in the hopes I can spell out my name. It's like the whole thing. She's just, she's trying to make herself known, you know, she's trying to put herself out there and know what no one seems to be noticing. I liked it, Josh. I'm going to have to check this chick out. I chose Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, and this is one of my favorite songs. I mean, Nine Inch Nails is one of my all-time favorite, uh, I say band, but I say person, because we all know it's Trent Reznor. But um, this song is just like, he was 29 years old when he wrote uh, this song, and he was, you know, in the depths of despair with his heroin addiction. And he'd, you know, ruined all his relationships. And one of the lines that I really loved was, you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. It's like the empire of dirt. It's like he's done all of these things. He's achieved all of this fame, but it, it just means nothing. And he ha- he has no control over what he's doing and it was just kind of full of beauty and sadness at the same time.
And and also I feel like, you know, as always, his voice is just complete perfection. I guess I should uh, wait for my uh, remaining thoughts until the next song. This song is, I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize that Nine Inch Nails was the original version, but... I will say this, like I, this song is very eerie. I also didn't realize Trent Reznor was 29, I guess, when he wrote this and the story behind it, it kind of adds a different layer to the song now, but it's, it's almost kind of a basic song. It's not grandiose like the rest of Nine Inch Nails songs. Like it doesn't have that many layers. And I think that kind of adds to that overall theme of loneliness, the lyrics are just they're on point they're they're perfect that's that teenage angst but also like you're almost a 30 year old dude and you still feel this way and you're still writing like this but it's it's beautiful like you know you want you you almost don't want to admit that like man those lyrics really speak to me but they do like it's it's a it's a beautiful song and i i like that it's a different dynamic than what i've been used to when i've heard this song dirt means heroin christy <laughs> just hey, let you know hey, <laughs> hey i didn't know that. <laughs> is that is that what he meant is that what he yeah, meant? yeah absolutely oh. <laughs> stop corrupting me every episode it cracks me up because that was one of those things like People are always like, it's not about heroin. I'm like, it's 100% about heroin. Like, this song is absolutely about heroin. And people always talk about, like, no, it's, like, symbolic. Or it's like, no, it's (laughs) it's absolutely about heroin. My husband used to work in recovery with, like, gnarly, like, heroin addicts and everything. So this, like, kind of song has a little bit of a special place in our heart because we were with those people a lot. Yeah, like, like bad. He himself has recovered. But, um, like, this song, like, really, really, like, hits it on the head. If you have any kind of experience with any kind of like heroin addiction in your life or anything like that like you can tell this guy was going through it a lot of people misunderstand addiction like and kind of with that and it just so ties hand in hand with loneliness like so many addicts are they're they're sad they're lonely they're depressed and that's why they turn to addiction and so many people think like oh you're making that choice and you just like eat dirty junkie and just stop and everything and it i, I feel like this just like really captures like why so many people fall into that trap of you know being addicted to heroin it's it's a horrible horrible drug um so everyone goes away and that feeling that he has of being taken advantage of and abandoned like addicts addicts know what they're doing and they don't want to use you know what i mean and like that's kind of that like confliction in there that i felt like he really gave that example to like he feels like he can't fix himself because he's so far gone it changes the kind of person you are there's like this shadow of your former self in there but you seem like unrecognizable to everybody else yeah i'll i'll continue in a moment Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to handle it, Josh. Sorry. Um, I just for the first time heard this, the original version, like a year ago, uh, which is crazy to me. And I hadn't realized it until it was playing. And I was like, oh, I've never heard this before. I've only ever heard Johnny Cash's version. And, you know, I think what I like about it is is uh, also what I don't like about it, which the lyrics are so wonderful. And I think that he doesn't do a great job of showcasing them. Uh, Trent Reznor doesn't. But I think that's also part of, like, 
the storytelling, right? It's just that you're really supposed to focus on like the misery and the tenuous feelings that he has. And so I think what sells it is also what makes it the inferior version. And then we can talk more about that in a second. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what song is coming up next. (laughs) Who knows? So I like Nine Inch Nails. I like Trent Reznor's voice. I like their music a lot. I never really enjoyed this song just because lyrically I always was like, this is an incredibly powerful song, but I'm with Josh, the delivery, which I guess I understand, you know, the delivery being just misery, being miserable. I get that, but the delivery never really did anything for me and gave it the power that I feel like the lyrics are worthy of. And, but I do think it's one of the lyrically, one of the best songs, honestly, I think that I've ever heard. Like it is near perfect. It is damn near perfect. With that being said, if you haven't guessed it, everybody, we have a good old fashioned song off. (laughs) I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? So (laughs) I picked Hurt originally by Nine Inch Nails, but I picked the Johnny Cash version. I'm going to wax poetic on this song for a while, guys. Um, (laughs) I apologize in advance. I I fully believe, and I'm sorry, Christy, I fully believe this is the superior version of this song. Well, can I just say, um, I I was never exposed to Johnny Cash, and I didn't even really know that his version existed until the last couple of years. So for me, I was like, oh, that guy must have been the original guy that that did the song, and then Trent Reznor (laughs) came and covered it. (laughs) And, like, imagine, like, when I I looked it up and found out, oh, no, shit, that old guy is covering Trent Reznor's song. Johnny Cash, that old old guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. He's literally almost dead and he's covering a nine inch nails song. Johnny Cash was a fucking badass. He was amazing. He was the man in black. I love him. And everybody's like, oh, of course, the Southern boys talking about Johnny Cash. Um, No, Johnny Cash superseded country music. He wasn't country music to me. He was folk. He was rock and roll. He was rockabilly. He was everything that was the 1950s and 60s and 70s, even into the early 2000s at the end of his career and at the end of his life. I am still right here. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end And you could have it all 
Johnny Cash to me is one of the most unique and interesting individuals, honestly, in popular music history. Um, I've just always found him fascinating. I read a few biographies on him during school, and he was an incredible human being. There was a movie with Joaquin Phoenix, Walk the Line, didn't really do it justice, but his story's kind of incredible. He also yeah. was a very hard drug addict. I mean, heroin, coke, just about everything you can imagine. He was a raging alcoholic. He dealt a lot with addiction over the course of his life. I think he has that connection there. But to me, this version of the song is not strictly about that. This version feels different. This to me is Johnny Cash at his best. I still remembered the video. I haven't seen the video since probably the year it came out, but I still remembered the video as soon as like it popped up the first image. Like I was like, oh, it's this video because mm -hmm. I remember the video because it just cuts between old Johnny Cash, 71 year old Johnny Cash sitting in his house with his guitar and sitting around his house and then cutting with images of him when he was younger and also cutting with images of all of these old just memorabilia from his career that's just fallen by the wayside, the old cash museum that was closed down, all of this merchandise. It shows a broken gold record at one point, like just like he built a music empire. And so to me, this song is incredibly haunting and powerful to hear old Johnny Cash singing the lyrics in a way that I feel like Reznor maybe didn't intend for them to be conveyed or maybe that wasn't the message in Reznor's version but this song I mean when he sings you know the chorus which is the what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the end and you're thing sitting there hearing this is a 71 year old man who has lost so many people in his life um, and it cuts to an image of his mother and it cuts to just all of this different stuff at one point his wife is standing behind him June Carter Cash and like it's incredibly powerful and when you get to you could have it all my empire of dirt i don't in this version at least i don't think he was conveying heroin um when he was singing it necessarily anymore because he had been clean for years and years by this point i think it was this matter of everything that i've built is really worthless in the end like all of this material stuff is is worthless. And he he's sitting at this feasting table in the video. I mean, f fuck, come on. He's sitting at this table with this huge feast and he's by himself and he's singing. You could have it all. My empire of dirt. And he's pouring the wine glass all over the table, ruining this rotted feast of wealth. And just like it's incredible. And there's that one in this version. There's that one piano note. Yeah. That just keeps getting mm -hmm. hit over and over and yeah. over and over during the chorus. And it's it's haunting and it, it just chills me and it makes me emotional hearing it. I mean, this is one of the first songs I learned to play on my guitar, the picking pattern. Like this song means a lot to me. It is one of my favorite songs ever, this version specifically. And I still can't hear it. I've listened to it probably 10 times in the last two days. And I still cry every time I hear it because it's the emotion hmm. in his voice, the conveyance in his voice. And you realize <clears throat> this song was released six months before he died. This was the end of his life. This was him coming to the end and realizing at the end of the day, everything that he had spent his life doing, he was still kind of alone. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to shut up now. 
I love that you you pulled two of the things both both sonically and visually that always stand out to me in the song, which are the note, which I think is very obvious, but I think visually the most haunting part of that video is him pouring that wine all over the feast for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I just the look on his face, and I just I think that's what elevates this um, over the original is retrospect and also familiarity. Trent Reznor was very much in it when he was writing this. And Johnny Cash is very much looking back. And I think it's, if not equally more so about fame than it is about drugs, but I think like looking back on the place Trent Reznor is when he wrote it and seeing how it fucked up his whole life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it a a profoundly better version. And I think also because most of us um, and definitely our parents watched his trajectory from being like a young musician and a drug addict to a family man and all the fuck ups in between. And then him dying six months later, I think it's the the ethos of knowing his story and his retrospect. And then the way he really highlights the lyrics in, in a way that Trent opted not to just make this so good. I think it's one of the most devastating songs ever. Like whenever I hear it, I, I stopped dead in my tracks and listened to the whole song. I have to agree that this is the better version, but the Nine Inch Nails version is someone's microwave on. (laughs) I'm like, who's backing up the (laughs) U-Haul? Sorry, that's my roommate. Oh, shit, I lost my trail of thought. I was getting all serious and deep and stuff. You were doing so good. Oh, God. It's it's always been, you know, the Nine Inch Nails version has always been my number one. This one uh, I didn't know about until until much later on. So um, I had to choose the Nine Inch Nails one, but it's kind of like um, Trent Reznor's one is, you know, about a drug addict's sadness and this Johnny Cash one takes on a completely different tone, you know, about an old man looking back on his life with regret in many ways. Johnny Cash's version is timeless, you know? You just kind of you watch the video and, oh, it's, it's incredible. I do want to say that when Trent Reznor heard this, he said, I felt like I lost my girlfriend because that song isn't mine anymore. It really made me think about how powerful music is as a medium and an art form. I wrote some words and music in my bedroom as a way of staying sane about a bleak and desperate place I was in, totally isolated and alone. Somehow that winds up reinterpreted by a music legend from a radically different era genre and still retains sincerity and meaning. Different, but every bit is pure. So... Trent loved it, and I think he even he agrees that Johnny Cash's version is is mm-hmm. you know he reclaimed the song right. It's not Trent's song anymore; it's Johnny Cash's song now. I'm I'm glad you chose that song, Stephen. I bet Josh was giggling when he saw that. Well, you guys covered quite a bit of what I was going to say, but Trent Reznor was definitely writing that like as you said, he was 29 and he was in it, and that's just the major divide between the two songs. Is you have Trent who's in the hopelessness of addiction, and then you have somebody who is sober but still an addict. And that's the thing about heroin is like it it doesn't leave you. That pain is still there. So it's like you know, yeah, I t- I totally agree with you. Like Johnny Cash has been sober for so long for years and years and years and years. So it's kind of like he's talking about fame, and you know, it's it's more meaningful for Johnny than it was for Trent because Trent 
Trent, it's just when I hear Trent, I'm like, you're just in heroin right now. Like you're up to your ears in it kind of a thing. But with Johnny, it's like you get cravings for the rest of your life every day is my like I don't I've never done heroin myself. But like having, you know, a husband and like being in the community and everything, it's like you can be sober for 20, 30, 40 years and you still have those cravings. You still want to use it. And it's this thing that is always on your back. Like, it's it's interesting to me that he passed away six months later after covering this because it's almost like he had released that last demon and then mm. he was like at peace. It was eerie in that way. Um, Shit, that's deep, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love this song. I've been a huge Johnny Cash fan. I, I grew up in Florida. Remember buying Johnny Cash cassette tapes from the flea market, that type of thing. And it's so interesting to me that he chose this. I, I'm what, how the fuck did this song come into his life? And yeah. he was like, I'm going to cover that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's Johnny Cash so, is a badass. Yeah. I, he, he, you know, he's maybe he's got his ear to the ground and he knew, but like, it's, it, it's beautiful. And, and, and Tawny hearing, you know, you speak about it in this, like, I had no idea this song was about heroin. That's fucking, that's <laughs> mind blowing to me uh, from Trent Reznor's standpoint, seeing it from Johnny Cash's standpoint, which I find to be uh, the, the better version just because a it's Johnny Cash B it's th- his voice, the haunting piano, the guitar, how simplistic it is, it, it, it it's just mind-blowing. And I, I'm a huge Wolverine fan. Everyone that listens to my podcast knows that I talk about Wolverine a lot. When they featured this song by Johnny Cash in, I believe it was the first official trailer that came out, I was like, fuck, like this. <laughs> this is brutal. And, it, and, it, and it's it's a very... It, even to the movie, it speaks in that sort of loneliness, that place where... Mm-hmm. As stupid as it is that I'm going to be talking about a, co- a comic book character for one 30 seconds for 30 seconds. Wolverine is a character in his in his uh, in his lifetime because of his mutant healing factor. Uh, he's been alive for a very long time. He has seen every person that he cares about die. And he's finally at the end of his life and he may not know it yet, but he knows that he's, he's getting there. He's getting to the end of his life. And I think that fuck, I just put it together. Now marrying that up with Johnny cash, putting out this song, him covering it. It's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. It's a song that every time I listen to it, I literally, I cry, I cry. It doesn't take much for me to cry, but I, I cry. I cry when I listen to this song. (laughs) Well, all right. I guess I'll lead into my second pick for the night. And I will I, I'll say this, Josh, I I will say this to Josh in particular. I totally understand if you completely cut this out of the episode, you don't play <laughs> a sample of it. I, I, I totally understand. And I will preface where I'm going to go with this by saying that I, I, I totally understand. It's a it's a very different. It's not nobody. I can say Without a doubt, none of you like this song.
this song uh, is called Pedal. It's uh, from a band called Every Time I Die. Uh, they're out of Buffalo, New York. They're one of my favorite bands. They're just technically and musically amazing. And uh, the lead singer, his name is Keith Buckley. And so the way where this song came from was uh, the band was going on tour and uh, his wife was pregnant and he got a phone call. Hey, your, your wife and baby's lives are at risk. You need to come back. So he flew back to be with them, and there was major complications uh, during this time that he could lose his wife and his baby daughter at the same time. was writing music for their most recent release that came out uh, you see a lot of ah, pure emotional passion aggression uh in his music in fact in the in the album right before that came out he wrote a song about when his wife he was on tour again and his wife was robbed uh in front of their house and how powerless he felt during that situation and you just hear the raw aggression uh, coming from him so that during this time when he was writing this particular song was a very emotional uh, time for him there, there's the song opens up with very negative imagery the sky is black earth is frozen and black the moon is black he lists all of these things that are typically beautiful brightly colored and saying that they're black but the thought of death is soft and clean and beautiful and white. And you kind of sit like, well, what is, where is he exactly going with that? And as you start to hear about the rest of the song, it's not about the death, possible death of his wife or the possible death of his unborn daughter. It's about him. He's reaching the point of being alone. It's the idea that like I could wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be alone, that my wife is gone. And my unborn daughter is gone and I'm alone. There's the, 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 the lyric that hits the hardest to me is when he says, I'd better warm up my gun in case love is not enough. And that sounds like that's a very brutal lyric. That's brutal. And but when you put it in the context of what he is writing about, the love that he has for his daughter and for his wife may not be enough that his they could die and he doesn't know if he can deal with that. The the thought of being alone. You know, he goes on to say, what have I done? What haven't I done? What have I done? What haven't he goes back and forth? It, it it puts you in a place like, what can I do to change the situation? Is there anything that and you and you start to feel you're you're in that isolated place. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to react to all of this. And it's it, it's overwhelming. It, he he kind of goes back to the line of if I have to walk alone, I'm giving 
giving up. I can't stay here knowing that love is not enough. Like this is a this is a this is a brutal song musically, lyrically, the way that he sings this song. It's 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 aggressive because you're in that place where you just don't know. I'm I'm a father. I have a five year old daughter. I don't know what I would do if God forbid something were to happen to her. It's you know a parent should never outlive their child. You know that type of mentality where you're in such a, a tough place. You don't know. Like if something were to happen to my daughter, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. Maybe suicide seems like a, a, a better option than dealing with the grief of losing that. And at the very end, this is the sort of redeeming part of this song where he says, untimely ripped into this world, I was born again as a girl. Again, in the context of this story, his daughter was born premature in order to save her life and his wife's life. And he says that I was born again as a girl. That's him being reborn. Like, I now have purpose. I now have, this is my daughter. Like, I'm here for her. I feel better about this situation. It's a, it's a tough thing. There's, there, there's a, and I, I'll, I'll stop at this, but there is one more line where he says, what if meaning never comes and I was just someone to fuck? And again, it goes to this idea, this is his wife. What if, my daughter is not born. I lose my wife. There is no meaning. And I was just somebody to, to, to have an intimate relationship with and it's gone. And the idea of being alone and, 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 and being isolated and you don't know how to deal with that. That's it's heavy. This is a heavy song. And that is probably the reason why I picked this the most. I, this is one of my favorite bands, but the content and the lyrics, Lyrics in which he puts out his music is just—it's so intense. He's an—he's an English teacher, you know, uh, a substitute English teacher. Like he—he—he's written a book. Like he's lyrically—he just has everything there, and it every song—it—it's it, like that. It just—it—it it hits you in a place that you're just like, shit. I like—I like this feeling. I like that you're getting it out in this way. So. I told you there was there would be an interesting story to this. <laughs> I don't think we can follow that. <laughs> um, contrary to what you thought, I actually like this song hit me like a ton of bricks and it really resonated with me on an emotional level. Like straight away, I, I'm not really into the screamo punk type thing, although I I can venture into the metalcore kind of era, but nothing like this. But there was straight away, as soon as I started playing the song, it just hit me and I had to look up the lyrics straight away and like, yeah. I, and then I had to find out the story. So I, I knew the story as, as you were saying it. And I ended up on this, this massive YouTube spiral <laughs> with this group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely felt like, like you said, it was brutal, just absolutely brutal. And I thought that his lyrics were just like just written from a place of complete and utter like despair and I, I actually printed all the lyrics out so I could read them all again as as you were talking. And one of the lines that really, really resonated with me was, what becomes of all creation if the smallest prayer is firmly answered no? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and I loved I loved the opening line where he describes everything as black and then the thought of death, it's the purest of the drugs. I, I yeah, this this song was really something. It was really something. Well, um at the beginning you said you can firmly believe that nobody's going to like this song. Um <laughs> I love every time I die. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I got I think I may have told this story on another episode at some point for some reason, maybe emo teen Steven. Um I got hit in the head with a full can of Rockstar energy drink that hadn't been open at an every time I die show in Charlotte. Oh shit. Oh shit. And I was standing behind a dude who had the uh, every time I die, the E and the I tattooed on the back of his legs. Oh, and man. so like I was, yeah, no, I love every time I die. The new black is like one of my favorite like oh, songs no. from that era. Oh shit! All right, all right. Yeah. I misjudged and, all of you. Well, two yeah, so not well <laughs> maybe not all of us, <laughs> but no. So like again emo teen steven would have been all over this and i i still love every time i die i don't listen to him as much as i used to but i had no idea the story behind this song um i looked at the lyrics and i was just like that's fucking devastating but now that i know the story um it, it's just even even darker and even heavier and i i mean i can't imagine the state of mind he was in writing that song because you know as somebody who has written lots of songs um my shit seems like nothing compared to like when you hear a story like that you're like damn i thought i was in a bad mindset when i wrote some yeah. stuff you know i just i do have a feeling that the back half of this uh discussion on this song maybe not as good at least i know i'm not alone <laughs> it's it's such a pretty song um, <laughs> just so delicate and gentle. Um, he said he, he, he is a pretty man. <laughs> I I hated it, and I literally <laughs> I felt that my those those four dripping with sarcasm words were going to be enough, and I walked away. And then I was like, no, I need to at least like look at the lyrics. And I read the lyrics, and I got on board um i i still is like i would rather claw my ears out than listen to it again but sure i, I will i reading it was sure. wonderful and hearing the story it all makes sense and uh you know like i don't have a kid but uh and i i will not even compare like having a partner to having a kid but i'm one of those people who like i worry about andrew dying on like a daily basis Sure, so I can't sure. even imagine what it would be like to worry about like your person and your child dying. And that would probably make me make noises like the song made. So I, um, I, the lyrics I think were great and it definitely took me to a dark place. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I appreciate the lyrics. <laughs> Can I reveal something to you, Josh, now that you've called them noises? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to go public with this for the first time ever. Um, not only we discussed on a previous episode, was I in a boy band in the third grade uh, called the Bad Boys? <laughs> they covered exclusively in sync songs, but I was also the screamer for a band in high school. <laughs> no so I can make those noises. <laughs> That's fantastic. 
Well, I feel like an asshole because all I wrote was, you have horrible taste in music, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh Damn. Uh, you, you, you obviously didn't hear the breakup episode when it came out. I had the top pick. I had Sinead O'Connor. No. Oh, you don't like Sinead? Shit. No. Shit. <laughs> Damn. I want to defend Mike. This is his fourth, I think, recording with us. And these two are, are the exceptions. I I have been on Mike's side for every one of his picks until this week. <laughs> well, I, I was on the episode I was on with you, too. I think I liked your songs, too. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I just it, like I said, like the, like this particular topic, I think more so than the breakup one is it's just the, these representations, these songs are that's me like that's me like in that moment. Like that's how I feel. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to apologize for it. I think about music in general. It's all subjective. You, it, it, mm-hmm. it, you, you take what you put into it and if you put into it you know, a little bit more like, what does this mean? I mean, I think, I think, like I said, once I told the story, I think you guys seem to have taken away something maybe a little bit different, but continue, Tony, tell me how much my music sucks. Oh no. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. The fuck do I know? I listen to the red hot chili peppers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) But um, no, I love the story behind it. That's that's how horrible. Like I said, I'm completely aware that I'm an asshole. I listened to it for all of like five seconds and went can't and like just like turned it off. Did no further research. Just was like that's screamo. Tawny's ears don't listen to screamo. And um, I love the story. And now I feel really bad about myself. And I definitely like uh, adore the explanation say- and the lyrics. <laughs> As Mike was explaining that that story, I saw Tony wipe quite a few tears so away I, from your so eyes. I. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. You are not an asshole. No, I'm an asshole, but I'm not heartless. There's different. I'm not dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bitch. <laughs> Anyway, I have bad taste in music, and I also like Fleetwood Mac um, because they made this lovely song called Dreams. Um, and I didn't used to like Stevie, as I said, um, not didn't get the best musical education growing up, still learning. Um, and what kind of turned me around to her and Fleetwood Mac was seeing that American Horror Story season called Coven and she was on that and not a lot of people like Coven again in the minority with that one but like I love Coven because I like love all the witchy stuff and all that and like I saw her on there and um the Misty Day character she's like oh Stevie's Stevie's a witch can you hear that in her voice Stevie's a witch and I'm like she is a witch and I just like was totally like understood how to listen to the music now and I'm just like oh my god I love Fleetwood Mac and 
this was one of the songs that like really, really got to me. And interestingly enough, it was about loneliness. She's so witchy. And like the song is so much about that unrequited love. Like that album is about people cheating on each other and like writing about it. You know what I mean? The whole rumors album. But just that like the sound of your loneliness and the stillness and the heartbeat driving you mad. You can't like you can't say anything more about that. It just totally exemplifies that like feeling of loneliness, that stillness, that quiet. You're totally by yourself. You can hear your own heartbeat. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, she wrote about that at the end of her and Lindsay Buckingham's relationship, and it was really, really like stormy. And he, you know, clapped back with that whole go your own way, which was really insensitive and bitchy. And she was more kind of like, you know, like no, let's just both break up and leave it. And like, you know, and he's just like, you just want to shack up. She broke up politely and he was not so polite. And it just makes me want to like put on shawls and dance around with like women in front of a fire in the woods, like all coveny. And it's just, it's so bad. Because it's like, it's it's about being lonely, but she's almost like, she's accepted it. It's, It's different in that sense where it's like, she's almost not heartbroken about it. She just wants to, she wants to move on. She's like, let's do this, you know? And it's, she talks about like washing away, like you'll know, or it's like, you just, you know, you, you wipe it all away, you put it all to the side. And then it's like, you come clean again. It was, which is kind of like a bit of that religious symbolism with the baptism and like kind of coming out new, but it, it totally works in that sense. And it's almost like, it's okay with being alone. It's lonely, but it, she's okay with it. Well, I love Fleetwood Mac. I think Rumors is legitimately one of the best albums of that era, if not of all time. Right. Um, Rumors is such a good album. And it's like you said, it's all written out of that stormy, tumultuous, like everybody in the band is just cheating on everybody. And it's just this really tense, but somehow beautiful album. And they created some of the best music out of all of that emotion. No, you do have songs like Go Your Own Way, which is very much a middle finger. But then you have this song, which is, it's beautiful, but it's very sad, like to me. Like every time I hear this song, I'm just like, ugh. Like, <laughs> like not in like, a, I don't like the song way because I love the song. It's just mm-hmm. like, it brings me down like every time. It brings me back to any loneliness after a relationship that I felt over the years. You know, because like, I mean, I don't know about y'all but like i've been cheated on and so like coming out of a relationship and like having those feelings it just it 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 speaks lyrically to me and it resonates a lot with me so no i love the song you know fleetwood mac is again to me like a bit like the beatles where i didn't really know much about them but i do for some reason know about this whole stevie nicks lindsey buckingham thing i don't know where i know about it from but i do it's just common knowledge 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, I do love this song. And, you know, like Stephen said, I have also um, experienced being cheated on by a long-term boyfriend, but I did not feel the same way as her. I felt uh, relief, I guess, at the end of it because mm. it was very toxic relationship and I was almost frozen, unable to, to move out of it. So I really needed that final push to get out. So I can completely understand her kind of sad acceptance of the situation, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful song. Beautiful song. I agree. Fleetwood Mac is great. And I think, you know, I, I'm probably just going to uh, agree with everyone else's points that this is a song. It's almost about wanting to just be alone, like being confronted with something and being like, yep, OK, that's fine. And moving past that. I mean, the, the line that she has where she says, have you any dreams you'd like to sell? Uh, it's just mm-hmm. to me, it's like. I'm okay with giving that up. Like I'm okay with giving mm-hmm. up that relationship with that person. And you know, you're, you might pass that along to somebody else, you know, where they have that question, you know, maybe not in a vocalized sense, but that maybe you find something better with somebody new. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where again, not to harp on the 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 breakup podcast that or the breakup song list that we did a few weeks back, but it, it's it, for me it's that it's that idea of like can I have those same dreams that I had with this person? Can I transfer that to somebody else? You know, can I you know in recognizing that like you still feel alone even if you're with somebody else like you you still feel alone because those dreams were meant for that person that you were with and you get mm-hmm. stuck in a place where you're just still alone. And I, I gotta be honest with you. Like I'm kind of, I feel that now in my life. Like I, I, I could with somebody else, but I don't necessarily want to. And I still feel alone, even though I have somebody else that is physically there, emotionally there, you know, you get the same sort of needs out of it, but it's, it's that part of you is gone that you want to still give to that other person. And, and even though you have something new that's in front of you, it, you still feel alone. Yeah. And I love Stevie Nicks. Yeah. I, I think Stevie Nicks is just one of the best musicians ever. And I think I agree with Steven. I think rumors is one of the best albums ever produced. And I think what I love about dreams is it, it transcends rumors. Cause I think especially now rumors is very much about all the bullshit that was going on behind the scenes. But I think dreams is probably the most tangible song because it really could be written for anybody as to where the rest is very much like Lindsay, Stevie, Christine, Mick. So yeah, I I think it's kind of like that Amy Mann album where it's all um, just a disaster of heartbreak and sadness and isolation Mm -hmm. and dreams is kind of the reconciliation like Mike was saying of like I've done that I'm going to be alone now and I'm going to find the silver lining in that and uh, yeah yeah, I just I I think it's really pretty and I think I I think it's one of their most ubiquitous songs and I think that's why because it's one of their most accessible uh, That's a great word, accessible. Sorry, I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that. <laughs> I was like, get in there before he talks about windows. <laughs> Won't you open a window sometime? It's all wrong with the light 
So this is one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, and I went with it because it captures the other side of isolation, like being the person trying to pull you out of isolation and depression. And I think we've all at one point or another been on both sides, uh, which is what makes us so accessible and compelling. And I think it's interesting when you're, when you're I guess, on, on the Angel Olsen perspective where you are trying to help someone, but also know what it's like to feel those feelings where you've been holed up in your apartment and every call you get, you send a voicemail, but then you have this like, nobody cares, nobody calls me. And like, you're doing it to mm-hmm. yourself. And I just, I, I, that's, I love it because it captures it so well, but there is that hope of like, you are feeling these terrible things and you feel so alone, but there is someone who's trying to pull you out of it. any song with an organ or that starts off quiet and slowly builds into a booming crescendo um, is always going to be a hit for me. (laughs) Her voice is so pretty and the video is so weird, but just stunningly beautiful. Yeah. The video is a trip. That was kind of fun to watch though. It was cool. I liked this song because it was more about like comforting yourself or someone else struggling with, you know, depression or, you know, loneliness, whatever that battle is. And I thought that was kind of cool because it kind of like went away from the other songs that we had on there where it was more about like trying to get out of it and like like being pulled like it seemed more hopeful like it seemed like there was like that like kind of light at the end of the tunnel in a way like the windows are open and free and it's okay to feel that way sometimes is kind of what I got from it. But like I loved that metaphor that she's like about like throwing the shadows down. It's like she's like throwing down the past in a way and the person is being like haunted or is like dwelling on that. Like that's like the one thing that I felt like really united all the songs that we all picked was it was like that, that dwelling and the haunting. We need to have like a word count, like how many times we used haunting on this episode. (laughs) And it's about living life and learning how to cope while, while being haunted by those shadows. Like, it's like, you know, you're going to go outside and there's still the shadow. I mean, duh, you know what I mean? You go outside and that shadow is still there, but you can live with it and you can keep going and living and feeling air and sunlight, you know, the, the sunlight in the eyes. And it's so easy to get into that, you know, that cycle and that pattern of wanting to just be alone. And like when you're shut yourself up, it's so hard to break out of that when you've been alone so continuously. You don't want to go outside. You don't even want to be rescued at that point. And she's like either pulling herself or somebody else out of that pit, you know, that room or the closet or whatever it is where you're like all shut up and dark and everything. And I thought it was just one of the one of the most powerful songs on this list. I thought it was really incredible. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. This is a a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. And it's I, I think 
you're very accurate to say that this is from the perspective of somebody that's trying to pull somebody out of their sort of funk, their mm-hmm. loneliness. It's it's a different side to loneliness. You know, we can experience it, but when somebody else experiences it as well, if you're experiencing loneliness and somebody else is there, they're experiencing your loneliness through empathy, I guess, and some form of sympathy, but they want to pull you out of that. That's a that's a form of loneliness for them as well. Um, because they don't feel like they have everything that at their disposal to be able to fix you. And I feel like that song just really kind of conveyed that message. The other person might be unwilling to let them in. And, you know, that's a, being lonely is a two-sided thing for, for people. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you may feel lonely, but somebody else that's very close to you can also have the same feeling uh, that you have, but about y- your situation together. It's, it's, it's so strange. I mean, I guess that's empathy mm-hmm. and that's, and that, that's kind of, I guess that's kind of just what the song felt like to me. It was more that sort of empathic and also just like, Hey, I want to, I want to pull you out of that shit that you're in, you know, that, that, that bog, you know, that you're in that you decide to put yourself in, like, let me in They're They're begging because they're lonely as well. And you're the only thing that that, uh, that other person may have. It's just, it's a beautiful song. It's so nice. I, God damn it, Josh, <laughs> you, you, pick, you always pick really good songs and I, I have no, fucking idea who this person is (laughs) and you know what like it's like it's now on my spotify and it will come up like i can i can i can you know thumbs up it and shit um i loved it too josh your picks have been spot on tonight uh i can't say that for other times (laughs) (laughs) um this chick the song was so so simple but yet so meaningful like just the repetition of the the lines it was beautiful and her voice well wow. her voice was just like i hate to be a cliche but haunting <laughs> <laughs>
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.